Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man-to-man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. All right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. I'm going to take a little bit of time at the top of the show to kind of give everybody as much as we can on the state of affairs. But before we do that, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation. Over a decade, we've been doing Longhorn Blitz and still going strong. That would not be possible without you, the listener. The best way to get this podcast is is anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. That is Horns 247. It's all together, no dashes, no slashes, or spaces. Click the follow button. You get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And if you'd be so kind, if you can, please leave us a five-star review. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm good. I hear you're getting ready for a golf major. Yeah, man. British Open's coming up, or the Open Championship, as they call it. And since, I mean, it, it's the fact that it's the number one golfer in the world, but if nobody's paying attention to what Scotty Scheffler's doing, like, he's literally better than, I'm not lying, better than Tiger Woods. He just can't putt. But if you talk about everything before the putter, hmm. it's even better than Tiger Woods right now. It's the That's type crazy. of season he's putting together. That's crazy. This is how he's finished. Third, fourth, third, third, second, fifth. Those are his last seven tournaments that he's played on the tour, which is absolutely insane. His last 12, he's been inside the top 12. Continue those. It's 11th, 10th, 1st, 4th, 12th, 1st. Like, Tiger didn't even do stuff like that, which is just That just 2020. When is that? 2023? This year. This year? This season. Yeah. He hasn't finished outside the top five since April. And he's finished inside the top 12 every single tournament going back to February. Won two of them. What? Yes. I don't know. You know what? I don't know why that's not a bigger story. I don't know either. I don't know. It's crazy. Maybe it's going to Shohei out there is just killing it. Messi is now at MLS. I don't know why that's not a bigger story because it's not like a huge – there's not like a lot of sports headlines out there. That yeah. should be a bigger one. Yeah, nah, we've got pickleball making it into the top ten on Sports Center. <laughs> right? like yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. We're, we're, we're teetering on the Ocho on yeah, our programming. Yeah. So if you can go strokes gain T to green, 
He is at 3.46 for his last 28 rounds. You have Rory at 2.19. Wow. And Brooks Kepka at 1.92. He's almost as good as Brooks and Rory put together. Damn. Yeah, it's crazy. A man who understands golf, understands That's things across the sports world. You just heard him reference Messi. It's because he's a renaissance man. He knows all uh, and knows a lot about a lot. Uh, wears many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos. And a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Appreciate the intro, brother, as always. Anytime. As always. All right, we talked about it on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7. A lot of people have been... Obviously, texting in to light the tower with myself and Craig Way. People have been hitting me up on Twitter and the mm. DMs, figuring mm. out what is going on with the horn, what is going on with the blitz. Here's what's going on at the horn. I, as we sit here right now on Tuesday, what is today's date? The 18th. July 18th mm-hmm. at 1230 p.m. Mm-hmm. I cannot say anything more than the statements that have been put out by Austin Radio Network. And Rod will back me up on this. I will. That's... Pretty much all I'm allowed to say at this point. Yeah. Um, as far as the Blitz goes, we took off for the 4th of July. That was mm-hmm. planned. Last week, it yeah. ended up being Rod had a meeting, and then we tried to reschedule, and then that time didn't work for Matt. And then when we tried to reschedule, everybody realized that I was going to be in Arlington for Big 12 Media Days, and yeah. we said, well, you know what? Instead of all of us trying to rearrange schedules, we'll just shelve it. And live to fight another day exactly. and record next Tuesday. Yeah. So nothing relating to the issues going on at the horn nope, just impacted the blitz. Yeah. It just last week was a coincidence. So that's all it was. As far as the future of the blitz, the future of the blitz, as far as the three of us are concerned, is bright. We're going to keep going forward with it. Yeah. No, the Our megaphone platform won't change, so how you get the podcast won't change. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be recording it in a different method, but that's yep. a little inside baseball but behind the scenes on what's going on. But the don't count on losing Longhorn Blitz. You can rest assured yeah, that unless one of the three of us decides that they don't want to do the Blitz anymore, we're going to keep it going as long as we can, and you'll still get it on your podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. That's the same place you currently okay. get it. So, yeah. with that in mind, let's get to the mailbag episode. Uh, we've been waiting a long time to do this, and uh, some of these are, are, are really, really long. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna forward these to Rod because Rod, you said you yeah, would. Man, uh, hit, hit me up. I'm gonna forward yeah. some of these longer ones to yeah, Rod. Do that. Uh, like Roth Nelson, uh, I appreciate all the uh, the in depth info, uh, observations on Sark. Um, so I'll just I won't go through all of this, but here's the gist of the email. Uh, it says there's been flashes of brilliance and average statistics are good. These are really weighted down by poor choices and poor performances. The highs are high and the lows are really low, mixed with just give the ball to Bijan, which is effective, but not an advanced offensive scheme I think Texas should expect. Hmm. Uh, It goes on, for example, how would the Ohio State or Alabama fan base evaluate Sark's offensive performance? I think Texas fans are soft on Sark's offensive evaluation, even Longhorn Blitz. You all might be kind of soft on his offensive evaluation, uh, if you had a Rod B equivalent who played offense, I think they would be more critical 
Uh, that would be fair. Should there be more pressure on Sark to give up play calling and focus on what appear to be his strengths, strengths being culture, recruiting, managing the portal and NIL, player development, etc.? If you're going to make a change on play calling, I think it's something you would want to do where there's less pressure so it doesn't create a negative narrative. That coming from Roth Nelson. Thank Roth A. Nelson. Thank you very Indeed. much for your yeah. contribution. We've talked about this. We have to um, this. I, You know, I'm encouraged by what we found out at Big 12 Media Days. When Craig and I had Sark on Light the Tower, I asked him about just his general overview of what the three special assistants bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have time to dig into it there. But he said, we're bringing in Joe D. Camillus, and he mentioned game management. And I was like, huh. We didn't have time to get into it. So I told I my that's with the new rule changes, too. I mean, we got some rule changes this year that's yeah. supposed to shorten the game. Glad you mentioned that. I told my right. colleague Chip Brown, I said, Chip, Sark said this about Joe D. Camillus. Hadn't heard that before. If you get if you get some time with Sark, that that might be something that you know you want to throw out there. I like that. So of course Chip did what Chip does and ran down Sark, and this was Sark's quote when Chip asked him about what exactly did he mean by Joe D. Camillus helping out with game management. Said he did a lot of game management stuff for Coach McVay in L.A. And I just thought with the new clock rules in college football, Rod, mm-hmm. like you pointed out. Nice. Why would you not bring in somebody who knows and has experience with that on your staff with the college clock rules now are starting to resemble what the NFL has? He's a great guy, a great motivator. He's got a great eye for talent. He's a great evaluator. So all of those things are bonuses to having him on board. Uh, Sark said D. Camillus, who was let go by the Rams after last season, has a great relationship with Jeff Banks. Said they have a longstanding relationship. I got a chance to really get to know Joe D., when I'd go out to Los Angeles to spend times with the Rams and Sean McVay and Raheem Morris and those guys, well, you might need to follow up with Sark on this Raheem Morris uh, tie because that, that might that might bind yeah. you guys maybe from more the than we Atlanta think. Atlanta days, because uh, yeah, because pretty sure it was when yeah. Atlanta because Raheem Morris, yeah, he was, yeah. Raheem Morris was mm-hmm. a defensive assistant when you were in Tampa. No, that turns talk. out that staff was kind of loaded when you go back. Mike, Tom- Mike Tomlin was your secondary coach, right? Um, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah with Tampa. Yeah. Uh, Said And then when they parted ways, we just felt like it was a great opportunity to have a veteran special teams guy on board. Okay, so that makes me feel a lot better about Sark's self-evaluation, his self-critique, saying I need to figure out a way to be less tunnel-visioned on game day. Because, we, man, even when they've scored in two-minute situations before the half, we've talked about it, man. It, it, it's been dicey, and you haven't left yourself much of a margin for error considering how much clock runs and – all that mm-hmm. stuff. So he needs somebody in his ear to to help him because he can get tunnel vision as a play caller. We've talked about that. Are we ready for Sark to give up play calling, though? I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet either. There, that um, Obviously, that uh, email, though, was – I agree. They, they made some really valid points. And you could argue that he needs to give up play calling because he even said, I like to have my hands in everything. Mm-hmm. He recently admitted that. He's like, no, I want to be in everything. He said, sometimes I go out there, watch the guys work out, and I start getting in on you know the strength and condition. And I, sometimes I get in on, on the weight workouts. He said, I like to have my hands in everything. And that's mm-hmm. great. Um, but, yes, that can mean you are you know over, over leveraged and yeah. overextended at times as a coach. Um, I, I think for Sark, my biggest issue is the fourth quarter. It's just the fourth quarter as a coach. I need you to figure out the fourth quarter because 
that is the I think Texas has outscored their opponents by like 179 points in the first three quarters combined last season, and yet they were outscored in the fourth quarter in overtime by 12 points. He's got to figure out the fourth quarter. Basically, if you go look at all the game, the, basically the look the losses for Texas they had five losses, and I think they failed to outscore their opponent in the fourth quarter in I think what eight of the games, eight of the 13 mm-hmm. games. And this is talking about the guys that are prolific offensive guy. And for the five losses, Texas was outscored in the fourth quarter. That to was me, Washington is, the one where they weren't. Washington, yeah, they were plus three in Washington, mm-hmm. but it got outscored by fourteen in Oklahoma State. Outscored by um, man, Bama. They were outscored by four. Texas Tech. They were outscored by ten. Yeah, in that mm-hmm. one. Um, so it's just to me, that's what he's got to figure out. Mm-hmm. And it's like I said, it's not. To me, I I don't think it right now is something that I can warrant giving up play calling about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, his fourth quarters, you know, in the one score, you know, losses, we'll see two and five in one score games in twenty twenty two. You know, that's pretty much it. I yeah. mean, those one score games are coming down to your play call in the fourth quarter. And there's no doubt he loses some of his creativity and some of his, you know, ingenuity in the fourth quarter because he's a he's a great offensive mind but I think more as a coordinator which is why his preparation and game plan is unbelievable first quarter you know blowing teams out gets a big lead usually a lot of wild plays a lot of plays with uh, a ton of uh, different force multipliers and cheat codes within them and then by the third and the fourth quarter long is going Okay, where's the guy that was calling the first quarter? Can you get that guy out here? Yeah. And essentially, I'll compare him to a rapper that can't freestyle, right? He's got mm-hmm. he's got to write it down. If he can write it's it down, scripted. he's good. And but when he's got to go off script and improvise, that's not Sark at his best because I don't think he's a great play caller. Play calling is feel of the game, is being able to read your opponent. Sometimes you play the the man and not the hand. You got to be able to think four or five steps ahead. And it truly is the chess match within the game. I don't think he's a great chess master just yet. Mm-hmm. That's, what he's got. That's why his fourth quarter, he's almost out of ideas. He's like, I got no ideas. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, uh, man, I'm, gonna, I'm in my wit's hand. It's like, no, no, no. You should already be anticipating the adjustments of your opponents. And by the fourth quarter, you should be, okay, I, I've been setting this up for three quarters. Watch, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. You should be that, that, mm-hmm. that, you know what I mean? that, mm-hmm. that usher gift. And it's yep. not with him. He loses luster. As the game goes on, that's what I think the emailer is frustrated yeah. with. Yeah, and I agree. When you add on the fact that it, you just sort of look at the way that his roles have changed, because we talk about play calling in and as an offensive coordinator, we've already talked about how great he is with the open end script. And if you look back, that before he had all of these head coaching du- duties, when he was at a place like, say, Alabama, like the you know emailer sent in. He was a guy, won the Frank Broyles Award. He's the best coordinator in the country. Nobody was talking about his inability to call plays then, but what changed? Now he's a head coach. So that's when we talk about uh, hiring this staff, having a guy like last year, say a guy like GP, to be able to sort of be that coach that can keep everything else around the program in line. And you're talking now more so about game day duties and having different people during a game being able to – allocate resources because what happened whenever he had to change from being that offensive coordinator a guy that's just focused on calling the plays to now your duties as a head coach really can take away from you also if you're making yourself be the play caller and the offensive coordinator as a head coach there's so much more on game day that he has to do than he had to do previously when he was considered say one of the top coordinators in the country well now your roles change but that's where you've seen these analysts come in we talk about the changes that he's made to sort of add to areas that 
say were either neglected or that he had to focus on more so now as a head coach, talking about special teams, talking about mm-hmm. defense, talking about wanting to play complementary football, but if you aren't self-scouting and don't understand that your team has these deficiencies in uh, certain areas, well, then you couldn't do that, and you actually can – make the offense perform worse because you now are a lesser version of yourself because you aren't that coordinator before that could go and focus 100% of your focus upon it. And then now you actually have deficiencies across the board. Now you're trying to do it. It's just there's so much more on your plate that we see that the the hiring of these analysts and to have people with different type of roles and duties on game day and like having two years of doing this and being able to build upon it and understand the things that you have to do on game day in addition to having that responsibility if you want to be a top-tier offensive coordinator. It's just managing all those duties because it's so much different of a role than what you had when you won the Frank Boyles Award as the top assistant in 2020 as Bama's offensive coordinator. I should have mentioned this at the top. Uh, we've got like 35 questions, so we're not going to be. We're definitely not going to get to all of these. So we'll get as many. Not as a we, rapid fire. Yeah, we'll get as many. That as was we a good can. one, though. That was a good. That was a good that question. Good yeah. We'll get as many. I'm just for the for the people that submitted questions. We'll get as many as we can. Uh, if we don't get to your question, and I'll mark it, we'll try to. Okay. One of us will try to respond via email. And fit, I mean, what are we talking about next week? Next do we week? have like really compelling stuff to get to next week? Okay, we we might just do a part two. It's the dry season, so they'll keep coming in. Unless y'all yeah. want to go over Big 12 Media Day stuff. Uh, no, I don't I, either, so we're uh, good. Was there Was there any? Oh, I like, okay, if we want to do that, I did like uh, Quinn Ewers' quote, the John Wick quote. Yeah. That was the money quote <laughs> from Big 12 Media Day. He said, basically, I know we got a big target on our back, but I look at it like the John Wick movies. Everybody's hunting him, but he turns around and he's hunting them too. Yeah. Brilliant. Go ahead. Quinn um, Wick, baby. We the, love it. You know what I liked about Big 12 Media Day is Sark was talking about, I didn't realize he and Paul Christ, the tie that binds them is North Turner. Uh, Whoa, I did not know yeah, that either. That's weird. Uh, because Sark worked for North Turner with the Raiders. Right. Paul Christ worked for actually Paul Christ worked for Mike Riley. When Mike Riley was the head coach of the San Antonio Riders in the yeah. World League of Football. Wow. Mike <laughs> Riley and North Turner are really tight. That is crazy. Yeah, because North Turner was the OC when Mike Riley was the head coach with the Chargers in 2001. So, and I started looking at basically North Turner. Learned his offense from Ernie Zampezi, which Ernie Zampezi got his stuff from Don Coriel. And then you realize how much Bill Walsh had some of those West Coast principles based off of Don yep. Coriel's Eric Coriel offense. And I'm like, man, I really thought about it. Like, you know, and I would, trust me, I went down the rabbit hole and I was just like smiling, writing all this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. But if you really think about it, Rod, like you can trace most modern offenses. If you look across football, if you look at Mike Leach's air raid, Don Coriel's offense mm-hmm. and the Bill Walsh West Coast offense, mm-hmm. I would say eighty-five to ninety percent of the offenses in football today are some derivative of those three. It's probably not, the most successful yeah. ones. Yep. Yeah. It's probably not cra- a crazy exaggeration. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's it's weird to say that, but yeah, it just spreads like. It really is not. That's kind of football theories lined in that too, because yeah. you got to do the deep dive, do the research on those offenses, and yeah, you always end up <laughs> back at those. And spots. I started, I started looking at like uh, the yeah. the tra- the hallmarks of the Eric Coriel offense. Oh man! And it brought me back to Sark because I was like, all right, uh, feature the tight end, the, the tight end who can expose people over the middle of the field, uh, using motions and shifts to exploit mismatches, vertical passing game, 
big offensive line with a strong downhill running game. I'm like, that sounds almost exactly like what Sark wants to get accomplished. Yeah. No, it is kind of a – his offense is a mix of the Coriel and the West Coast. West Coast liked a lot of crossing routes, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and wanted to really stress the defense with some of those horizontal principles. And Coriel was about the vertical mm-hmm. routes, and Sark likes them both. Hell, Sark even combines it with the, the big the, the over route, those rainbow yeah. crossers mm-hmm. that he likes. <laughs> All right. Both. This next question is from Dane. Dane, uh, you say you're Houston born and raised, but you're living in, you're living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So God bless you for waking oh, up in that state every day. Yeah. Uh, you're in our thoughts and prayers. <laughs> uh, said I know fans have a tendency to overhype or misjudge, but you would have to try really hard to convince me that Malik Murphy didn't look a lot better than yours in the scrimmage. Talking about the spring game. Uh, I think he looked amazing. My concern is him actually being as good as we saw, but buried behind the glitz and glam of the Ewers hype and the name Manning and transferring while possibly being the objectively superior quarterback. Love to hear your thoughts. My thought is real simple. I've been around this program long enough to know a one-game sample, let alone a spring game sample, a great quarterback does not make. Yeah, this is we know this. Yeah, we do need to see, you know, kind of an in-game sample of Malik Murphy, but there's no doubt, man, he – he looks the part and he the looks tools impressive. Are there. Yeah, he looks the part. Yes, all the raw materials are there. I'll just say this I do give him credit, uh, and I give NIL credit, the big money boosters and donors. Shout out to BMDs out there that, that he stayed. Mm-hmm. I think part of it was an NIL success story for Texas. Part of it was, I, I think he believes, just like this emailer, I think he believes that he's going to win that job. Yeah. Now, by the way, I don't want to recruit guys on my roster who don't believe that he win that job, that that's their job. Um, you ain't got to go about it in an a-hole manner while you're competing against, you know, your brothers in the room. But I believe that cornerback job was mine. I'm personal against all the other dudes and everything. That's my job. Yeah, It's mine. <laughs> all right? I'm going to outwork everybody in here to go get it. All right? And I will prove that I'm the best, but that's my job. Yeah. And I think Malik Murphy has that mindset, whether that's knock on some wood here because Quinn Ewers ends up getting injured – What's the last time he played a full season? Uh, that would be maybe his sophomore, sophomore year of high school. It's been a while. It was the last time. I mean, Texas since what nineteen ninety nine? How many times have they had one quarterback start every game of a college football all, season? I think it's all it's like but six three. times. Five or, it's like yeah. five. It's, it's very. Yeah, it's like five times. It ain't a lot. It's very. Yeah. In that time span, it's not a lot. So there's a good chance Malik Murphy's gonna play. And in his mind, he believes when he plays, he's not gonna give up the job, whether yeah. it be because of injury or productivity. Yeah. So he's got the same belief as the emailer. Mm-hmm. All right. So there it is on Malik Murphy. Thank you, Dane, for the question. Joshua Sparks. Uh, here's your question. Said on the most recent podcast before July 4th, you guys mentioned Baylor as a possibility to finish last in the conference. Reason mentioned included that Matt Rule's talent is gone and that the line of scrimmage advantage they usually have is not there anymore. So my question is, how can a coach like Dave Aranda, well-respected, smart, and well-liked as a coordinator, but in his first head coaching gig, take a team that was apparently pretty well-stocked with talent when he got there and suddenly have such a drop in team talent? Aranda has a Big 12 title to show recruits and has developed many stellar defenses throughout the years. So why would talented recruits not want to go to Baylor and or not be developed in Aranda's system? I don't know if said picked him to finish last. If I said that, then I misspoke. I'm, I, cause I like Dave Aranda. Bro, listen to the podcast. I did say I think I think they're finishing more towards the bottom of the conference than the top. Um, but the Blake Shaman thing shocked me. That was yeah. surprising that he regressed in the manner in which he did. That is the biggest issue. And I thought last year when they had lines of scrimmage advantages, 
on both sides of the ball. Um, I thought, oh, man, Baylor's going to be able to, you know, impose their will, be able to run the ball, play ball control, um, kind of game plan, and still win some games. And they didn't, mostly because Blake Shapin, I believe, kind of regressed and underachieved a bit. And I thought he was going to get better. If he gets better, then I do think they got a shot. I think Dave Aranda is a hell of a coach, actually. Yeah. I think he's – I'm a big Dave Aranda fan. But I'll admit, this year, um, I, I think it's kind of a toss-up with Baylor this year. We – we don't really know enough about Dave Aranda as a coach. I like him, but we don't know enough about him to say that, oh, man, he is a great coach or he's a subpar coach. Like yeah. We just don't have enough. We have three years, right? For, and then we have COVID in the midst of all that, too. Yeah, you got the COVID year, you got a conference championship, and then you've got last year. Exactly. Like, yeah. I don't what the hell do you make of make of that? He's reached a mountaintop. Uh, he had you know a pandemic to deal with when he first got there. Made some coaching changes. There were some good coaching changes, but now making more coaching changes because he figured that I know he was mistaken in some of the hires that he made. So, like a lot of coaches, and and Jeff, you brought this up a lot. One of the biggest issues for coaches coming in, especially first time head coaches, building the staff. Yeah. Right, and that yeah, they yeah. continuity with the staff. Tom Herman struggled with it. It's just some of the first year coaches they really struggle with that. Sark's great at it. It seems like, but why? Well, he's done it. Yeah, like three. He's done it three times already. So I think maybe he's struggling with that right now too. And That's then, part of in it. In the yeah. context of the question, just asking, you know, well, in the Big Twelve, and also considering that it's post rule when you don't have necessarily those players and it's the players you bring in. I know that a lot of the conversation we were having was based on their return in production, and if you look in the context of the 14 teams that are here next year, well, 14th and 13th are teams like TCU in Cincinnati in returning production, Mm -hmm. programs that we've seen be able to reload their production, but also teams that lost a lot from really good teams last year. The team last year that lost the third most was Baylor. You look at Baylor coming in, ranked, according to Bill Conley, 100th out of the 100 32 some odd teams in returning production, 88th on offense and 97th on defense, returning just mm-hmm. 60% and 51%. So, in the context of the question discussing, well, these are Aranda's guys when you don't have rules, guys, this is really the first year where you're going to have to have all of his guys. So, they're going to be even added more to the question because you're 12th out of 14 teams in returning production, it's all on the guys that he brought in, and let's see if he can do it. And then when we looked at the quarterback position, we're like, just they're shaping, but behind him you don't have much, and we talk about needing multiple quarterbacks Mm -hmm. these days. So there are just more questions that you can have for Baylor this year than you could have for Baylor in many years. Yeah, and those guys say that, they lost in the last few years. Man, they lost some NFL players. A lot Jamie of them. Petrie's going to be a good Petrie, player for, oh, the, God. for the uh, for the Texans. And, you know, Bernard was a good player for them. Um, Ika now in the league. They lost some good players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is where they've had kind of their biggest I mean, drop-off. Go, uh, before going into last year, I mean, Jalen Petrie was a second-round pick. Tyquan Thornton, second round. JT Woods in the third round. Terrell Bernard in the third <laughs> round. Tristan Ebner in the sixth round. Kalen Barnes in the seventh round. Yeah. I mean, they, they were yeah. loaded, man. I mean, not loaded, but they had a lot of talent, you know, mm-hmm. and they did. They maximized it, but now they got to replace all that. And even even um, Dave Rand admitted that he didn't attack the transfer portal as yeah. aggressively as he should have, so that put him a little bit more behind. So I think it's just a well, like you said, Matt, perfectly. More, more questions unknown. than answers. Yeah, more unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that question, Joshua. Appreciate it. Uh, Baylor's Baylor's a wild card team. Oklahoma. I used to say Baylor's a wild card team because this is where I'm at with Baylor most years. Like I, 
because it's been so volatile there. Like I can't tell you from one year to the next what they're going to look like. Uh, that's kind of where I am with Oklahoma this year. If you if you wanted to tell me Oklahoma's going to be a six win team, you can make an argument that I'll buy. You can if you want to tell me Oklahoma's going to be a ten win team, you can make an argument that I'll buy. Uh, with the schedule being in their favor, being chief among a lot them, of that hinging on Dylan Gabriel. A ton of it. Because yeah. if he's healthy, and, yeah. I think they can win 10 games. That and how much that defense improves. Yeah. I mean, Venables, if the defense improves, yeah. they can too. It can't be much worse than they were they last year. Good Lord, they were bad. <laughs> uh, John Latham, you got the next question. It says, good morning, guys. Thankful for y'all's podcast, and it always helps when my family sit and talks Longhorn football. Appreciate that. Question, even with the great recruiting, how high is Sark's seat? Uh, if they don't, if at all, if they don't win the Big 12 this year and win a big bowl game entering SEC play next year, I think the only way Sark's seat is hot is if you're sitting at the end of the regular season like seven and five, mm-hmm. drastically underachieve or dra- you know, some kind of, yeah. less than. I mean, you won eight in a regular season last year, so seven or fewer wins. I think that's when you're regressing. Yeah. If we say regression, it's like, all right, Danny's on the hot seat going to the SEC. If they just win nine games and say they don't win double-digit games and get to the SEC title, I think it'll be disappointing. Big 12 title. Oh, sorry. Big 12 title. Sorry. SEC titles a couple of years away. (laughs) Uh, Big 12 title. Um, It'll be disappointing, but... I mean, they did get better yeah. as a program. There yeah. was improvement. And it's also about how they lose these yeah, games. Yeah, so I was about to say, way. if there's some ugly gotta, blowouts, yeah. like. It's about how it, they lose these it's games. It's how, the, yeah, and how the season ends normally is the one. Like, you forget what happens at the beginning of the season a lot of the time if it ends that with an ugly taste in your mouth. Yep. So, Agreed. even you know, though you have Alabama and OU on the front half, it was like. You can't just have success and then fall off a cliff. So you want to be able to end the year strong. Yep. Rod, we didn't even talk about this much. Maybe we did, but we've recorded a lot of podcasts since the end of the season. Sark, this is probably the first time in Sark's career where he went through a season and didn't have, as you would call it, one of those get-off-the-sticks losses, like the three-touchdown loss. Mm. He didn't have one yeah, of those. I mean, losses year. were one-score losses. They were close. time to tech, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at, at, you know, you don't – celebrate moral victories around right here. but as, i mean uh, but if you I, want to look at progress it. that's that's progress it, it, it is considered progress I, I i think sark this is a this is why it's a pivotal year for sark because nationally all the stuff i hear about sark nationally when they're talking about him whether it be in the sec or colin cowherd's talking about him does a segment about him or whatever there there are two camps on sark and nobody's in the middle you're either a sark believer or you're a sark denier or a sark hater mm-hmm. and i think Either side this year will get all the ammunition they need to to say that their their argument is valid or they're right. And by the way, I think both sides have legitimate arguments. Yeah. They really do. If you're a guy who just says, man, it's pretty obvious that Sark, he is what he is. Okay? He's an okay coach. He's above average, but he's not a great coach. All right? He doesn't win double-digit games. He doesn't win championships. He only gets you so far. And that's as far as it gets with Sark. And if you were to say that, and this year he only wins nine games, that camp, mm-hmm. they, you know what? They're going to have a lot of uh, a- ammunition for their argument. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, if Sark ends up winning the Big 12, winning double-digit games, the people have been like, it was so obvious. How did you idiots not see that Sark was a great coach? He took, he took Washington from you know, the, the gutter and brought him back. 
built that program back. He was on his way to doing that USC before his own demons got the best of him. Once he figured that out, he led Alabama to a national title, calling plays in one of the greatest offenses ever. And look what he's done at Texas. From five wins to eight wins and now winning the Big 12 title. It was so obvious he was a great coach. You guys are just some haters. Yeah. You, it, it, both of those arguments are are right now, I think, are are valid and they they hold water. This is a this is why this is a season that will be an indictment on him, or it'll be a season that truly defines him as a coach. I think this is kind of a defining season for Sark. Yeah. Because first year going to the SEC, if you underachieve this year in the Big 12, nobody's going to pick you to go to the SEC and start to flourish all of a sudden. Why no. the hell would you do that? And then the camp <laughs> and then the camp that says Texas isn't ready for the SEC. They're not ready to come in and yeah. compete week in and week out. That camp will have all the ammunition yep. they need to be like, y'all don't know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Y'all be lucky to win six games. Be lucky to go to Memphis or Houston for your bowl game or wherever. <laughs> yeah, you know? You're right. It's like this is, it's going to define a lot for Sark and his the really the narrative about Sark right now. Yeah. This question, Rod, is from James McKinney is specifically for you. This is hypothetical scenario. You are named defensive coordinator for the Longhorns this season. What is your base defense, and who's in your starting lineup? Wow. What's my base defense? I honestly, I, I don't know if you have a, a base defense these days. That's a little dangerous. I'd probably be as multiple as I can. You guys mm-hmm. know I love multiplicity. So as a base defense, I'd probably be as multiple as I can. My, my, as a defensive coordinator, the 12, it varies yes, a lot. as my defense coordinator, I, I would probably have the mindset of figuring out who my best 11 players are on defense, whoever my best 11 are, and build a defense around them. And right now, if you're looking at Texas, just their best 11 guys – Man, honestly, for me, it's pro- I got to find a way. Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, that's done. I mean, that's a done yeah. deal. All right. Baron Sorrell is one of your DNs. Mm-hmm. You do have a question at the other DN. We don't know. We have no idea, actually. I mean, we think we know, but mm, there's no guarantees there. That's an open competition. Uh, Jalen Forger, off ball linebacker. I think, I mean, I've been hearing a lot of stuff, but something tells me they want to play this young buck, Anthony Hill, as much as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they're going to do it and when they're going to try to do it. I think they're going to try to hybridize this kid, this kid a little bit early on, bring him off the edge because apparently he's a natural pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Sark has already said he's one of the best two top pass rushers on defense yeah. already. Well, and remember, Byron we, Murphy's the first. You look at who is the second most productive pass rusher in the Big Twelve on a per pass rush basis. Demarion Overshaw. He was great, and that that yeah. I mean that's a void that you have to fit in. It's sort of the one body that naturally fits in to being that role. Like, that was a hybrid role, but that's the role that I think he would be perfect for. Uh, So, I I don't know if he's our best 11, but Sark is telling me he's my second best pass rusher. So, I'm like, well, I got to have that guy on the field. Because what we're trying to do this year is convert pressures into sacks. Last year, Texas was top 10 in the country in pressures. I think they were in top five, actually, in pressure. Someone said they're number two. I think Sark said they were like number two at one point. Yeah, they were number they were number two going into bowl season, but I, I just on, some yeah, napkin math. I think yeah. I, they finished like fifth. I think. Yeah, they yeah. were really they were really good at creating pressure last year because they had the deepest interior D line. Turns out in the country. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, we're looking at it in retrospect, but um, they couldn't convert enough of those into sacks. Actually, they were second to last among the top ten in pressures in sacks because they just couldn't convert them sacks. So that's a guy you want to see on the field. So I don't know if he's your second best off ball linebacker, but in terms of your best eleven. And trying to get your best 11, he might be among that group. And, of course, he's a prodigy. 
Um, secondary is pretty easy. You got J.D. Barron is your guy. I mean, he to me, I think he's your – if I had to pick anybody back there to be all Big 12, I know Jalen Catalan is coming in, but I haven't seen him yet at Texas. Yeah. I'd pick J.D. Barron right now. Um, and then you got Jalen Catalan. Then you got Jaron Thompson. Then you – is Keaton Crawford forced his way on the field? We'll see. I think a lot of it depends on Terrence Brooks because Ryan Watts is going to be your bouncy corner. I keep going back to him. A lot of this yeah. depends on Terrence Brooks, man. Yeah. If I'm trying to get my best 11 on the field, is he part of my best 11? That's what I got to figure out. Because if he is, oh, I'm sitting so pretty. I'm in the catbird yeah. seat because he's my field corner. And by the way, I asked uh, Xavier Worthy. I said, all right, tell me what DB out there is giving you you know, the most grief when you're out there in one-on-ones and in team. And I love what he did. First, he gave props to Jade Barron and said, I don't face Jade. Yeah. I don't face you so you know. If I did, it would be him. He didn't say that, but he basically said, I don't face Jade in the slot. I'm outside most of the time. Yeah. So I think he was giving respect to Jade, like, hey, dog, Jade is the, is the dog. But outside, he said Terrence Brooks. He said he's the guy. They gave me some hope and faith that, okay, if X-Man is saying Terrence Brooks is giving him the most grief, that's an NFL wide receiver, Terrence Brooks should be the guy. So if Terrence Brooks is the guy at corner, then, man, it's, like I said, you got six DBs then you consider to be starters. You're at running that point. you're running the you're running the John Haycock defense. You pretty hey, you pretty much got six D. You can go yeah. back to your old lightning package that you risked the road without really, Because really, like, yeah. you got three safeties, the Keaton Crawford, Jaden Catalan, Jaron Thompson, and you'd have three corners you trust. Ryan Watts, of course, your boundary, but then Jay Barron and Terrence Brooks. Catalan is perfect. In, in, in the John oh. Haycock scheme, he is perfect Move as around, the as a middle safety. And Texas hadn't run a lot of three high uh safety looks. I don't know why. They I, I saw him do a little bit in the Texas Tech game. Last season, but that's about it. And there's so many more, um, really, air raid schemes coming back into the Big 12 now. I wonder if you'll see it. And by the way, everybody else is doing it against Texas. Texas faces like four or five teams that run the three high thing down now. Yeah. And the Big 12 is the kind of epicenter of it. So I wonder if they'll break that out now since they do have depth at safety. So I got six DBs. I got three linemen that I trust. That's Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, and Baron Sorrell. And I got two linebackers. Pretty much, I think that's my 11 right there that I yeah. trust. I would build a scheme around those guys. Now you say, all right, but you got to get more linemen. Yes, I would. I'd try my best to, we'll see what happens with Alfred Collins and how Alfred Collins performs, Vernon Broughton and those guys. Yeah, how they I platoon. Yes, we'd like that. But I'm just saying, you asked me who my best 11 are. I think that's your best 11. Strangely enough, I think yeah. your best 11, six of those are going to be DBs. And I don't, I don't know about the other linebacker spot opposite Jalen Ford. I'm not privy to that. I assume it's going to be they're going to get that young buck on the field. They're not bringing him. They're not talking about him this much for nothing. Line, line that off-ball linebacker reminds me a lot of how I feel about running back. Like if if somebody's if somebody's going to be the guy, I think like similar to Jonathan Brooks on offense. I think David Benda at this point. I think the staff feels like he's earned the right to be in a position to be that guy if he can handle it. And if he can't handle it, then you probably go. You know, Maurice Blackwell on more kind of standard downs, and then when you get an opportunity to get Anthony Hill, and then you bring him in. Yeah, that's that's Mo Blackwell's not a bad idea. My, like I said, I, I'm a D coordinator. You, he asked me what I would think as a D coordinator. My D coordinator, I'm always looking at who my best eleven football yeah. players, my yeah. best eleven defenders, and I'm just gonna get my best eleven defenders on the field. That's how I think, and that's what I would craft a you know a defense to try to get those guys on the field as much as possible. And I imagine I'm trying to get a lot of young deep, a lot not young DBs, but a lot of those DBs out there because I think you're just really deep there. Yep, you might be deeper now at DB than you are at any other position on defense. I- Ironically. Yeah, and if you go and look across just all sports over like the past 20 years, one of the things that we've learned the most is like 
Don't be afraid to do things. Like you're like, well, how can your base defense be a dime, or you go out there and do so, or a nickel? And like you look across the board, like you've had more oh. proven and proven across all sports. Going small in basketball ends up being something that you can have some of the best defenses in the entire league by going small because your players that are fitting these tweener molds are ones that have the ability to play. They mentally are putting themselves in the right spot, and they have the foot quickness to make up for what is viewed as a deficiency in size, but size is really overrated across the board. You look at most NFL defenses have bases inside of nickel. You've Mm -hmm. seen them not be afraid in very – especially when you're facing mobile quarterbacks to go with six or even seven DBs. And, like, that's why against Texas Tech, Texas did use more DBs. Again, they had a very mobile quarterback. But in just the passing culture that you're in, you never can be afraid to have your better guys be out there because of their ability to make – quick reactions and make up for mistakes because of their speed and also when you look at size size is so much more overrated in the modern football game that if you can get sideline to sideline like we learned it in 05 with Texas a Drew Kelson playing linebacker that's an old safety that you had in Texas had spinning down and being able to run with people like Reggie Bush and just to be able to have the ability to have that foot speed really does matter in football and across all sports it's sort of been proven like that's the one almost myth or theory that you have to fit inside this mold that is viewed mm-hmm. as the offense or this is exactly the way that football's played. It's like, no, nowadays it's almost better to get the guys that can read, react, and if those are the guys that happen to have the best foot speed too, they can make up for a lot of the mistakes that are made inside there to where like you never can err on that side. Just don't be afraid to try it. If it doesn't work, then you adjust from there. But being able to just try it puts a lot of teams ahead of the curve these days. Yeah, it used to be situational and matchup-based. If you play a team that's going to run downhill power scheme at you, then, of course, you should make accommodations. But I I, I do like what Matt said. I mean, look what Dan Quinn's doing. Dan Quinn Cowboys are playing uh, a lot more dime defense than a Mm -hmm. lot of teams in the NFL. They're playing a ton of three safety defense Mm because they just signed their three. Probably the deepest safety core in the NFL. And Dan Quinn believes in positionless football. It's kind of his thing. So, listen, Dan Quinn – came and spoke at one of the coaching clinics for Sark. There's a lot that Texas can learn from Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn doesn't blitz a lot because he doesn't believe in it now, but he runs more twists and stunts than any team in the NFL, or actually, actually in the last five years. Yeah. Nobody runs more twists and stunts than he does. And Texas, if your best pass rusher is an interior D lineman, what you got to do to free him up? Twists, stunts, games up front. Yeah, You got to run a lot of that. And Texas got so – there's just – to, to Matt's point – there is a lot of there's a lot of ways to think outside the box when it comes to maximizing your talent. And when you look at skill sets, instead of just body types, you go, "Well, do I can I got do I have DBs that will bang in the box?" Yeah, Jane Thompson will come down and bang in the box. Keaton Crawford will. Keaton Crawford will bang. Catalan do. You don't want Catalan doing it because he's a little fragile. So I want him <laughs> in center field most of the time. But you got guys that will bang in the box. Hell, Jade Barrett. Yeah, Jade Barrett led the say. damn team and the tackles for loss. Yeah, yeah. With eleven, can I give you a Jade Barrett stat? Crazy stat. Jade Barron is the first Texas DB that I found as far back as I could go research, and the records get really weird, as you guys know, after like 1960. Yeah. And kind of piecemeal stuff together. As far back as I, go, I can go look, I've not found a DB until Jade Barron that's led Texas in tackles for loss. It's them screens. Man. First like, DB in history of DBU to do it. He's such a freak. He can, his ability to Crazy. read. 
His screens, like he blew a couple up. I mean, it's how he scored touchdowns in a handful of games. Unbelievable. Just being able, I mean, he has that innate. Some people just can read it and mm. break and blow up those screens, and <laughs> there's more and more of that in college football. He's the, he's a, he's the first Texas DB since, I believe it's Ricky Churchman, if I'm not mistaken, 1978. Man. To have at least 11 and a half tackles for loss. Huff Daddy had double digits twice because <laughs> Huff Daddy is – Obviously, on the Mount Rushmore, he's a goat. Um, but yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I went back and looked at it because I was like, how often does a, a DB lead Texas in tax loss? I couldn't remember it. Nine, nine the time that I've been here, turns out, no, it does not happen. When I think of the term, when I think of the, the term, I'm sure they still use it, uh, fill the alley for safeties and run support. Bro, he, Michael Huff is the first name that comes to my Huff mind. Huff one of them guys. Yeah. Fill the alley. Yep. Um, it's funny. I was talking to Jade at Big Twelve, and I'll say this for Jade, man. He's—I don't know if it's just he's more comfortable now and doing interviews, yeah, he's, or he's if it was just confidence. because it was just kind of me, him, and a couple other people. But he's confidence too, though. He, I was uh, talking to him about the tackles for loss. I said he's like, well, he's like, um, he's like, the, I, I had my goal a lot, uh, a lot less than that. I was like, what was your goal? He's like, seven and a half, eight and a half. He's like, I guarantee you, it wasn't eleven and a half. And he said, he <laughs> right. said he and Jalen Ford. <laughs> He and Jalen Ford had a bet before the season hey, that, that canceled each other out. They watched that song. Because they canceled <laughs> each other out because Jalen it was Jalen was betting on he'd have more tackles for a loss. Jade was betting he'd have more interceptions. Jalen Ford had more interceptions, oh, yeah, but Jade yeah. Barron had more tackles for loss. Yeah, but don't worry, y'all both set records. Yes. Yeah. Jalen Ford had more interceptions than any uh linebacker since Derek Johnson. And today, Barrett, you had more tackles for loss than any DB in Texas football history. So you're good. You got so the so the <laughs> yeah. friendly the friendly the friendly wager ended up it ended up canceling hey, out. You know what? You're right. Maybe more friendly wager. Yeah, exactly. Oh, um, uh, no, that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so King Blake with the next question. Nice. Uh, says I'm a Texas fan in the state of Mississippi. Ooh, I've been listening luck. to the show for a couple years now. I like Malik Murphy a lot. I'm glad he didn't transfer out, and I hope he doesn't in the future. Do you guys think that when Ewers leaves, and even if Murphy is better, that Sark might give the nod to Arch for QB1 just from the Manning name and potential upside mm. over Murphy? We talked a little bit about this earlier, but I've got something. It's not a lot, but it's something that shows Sark has a history with this, and it's shown he'll go with the right guy. I present to you Exhibit A. Exhibit A. So the first big quarterback get for Sark when he was the head coach at Washington mm-hmm. was Nick Montana. Son of Joe. <laughs> That's funny. He goes into the 2012 offseason with Nick Montana and Keith Price battling it out for the job. Oh, yes. Keith Price wins the job. Hey, better quarterback. Man. Keith Price throws for 33 touchdowns in 2012, and Nick Montana transfers out. So it's not just about pedigree and name with Sark. He has proven he will play the better quarterback. Yeah, I'm glad. No, I, I, I think he I, – I believe he will too. Because his job is on the line. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're going to be playing the toughest conference in yeah, the history I'm, of college football. If I'm Sark, I'm like, I like, the Manning, no I like the Manning family and I like Arch. I like being employed a lot more. Yeah, obviously <laughs> Longhorn fans have a little bit of trauma from this. They're trauma bonding uh, over because it's like Chris Sims, Major Applewhite, you know, kind of, uh, you know, some of that, those, in, those memories are being conjured up because are you going to play a more high-profile Big name quarterback over the quarterback that gave you the better chance to win, mm-hmm. and there are some Longhorn fans that believe that Mac Brown, you know, whether it was true or not, that he did that. 
instead of he went with Chris Sims over. No, Major, I probably gave him the better chance to win. I mean, he was small in 2020, but I still remember going into 2020, nobody gave Mac Jones like a chance to win that job. They're like, oh, you got because you had five star guys mm-hmm. going yeah, in right. before, and That's then Bryce point. Young was there, and I forgot who they else they had in the wings, but like. Coming off of Tua, coming off of having a guy like Hurts, they're like you always had these big names there at Alabama, and not many people thought Mac Jones would go. And then, mm-hmm. like yeah. ten weeks into it, it was like me yelling, "Mac Jones better not win this Heisman," you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, the guy's catching the ball better win this Heisman," and you're right. <laughs> you know what's what's interesting about that though is maybe if Bryce Young has a structured off season instead yeah. of going through the pandemic. Maybe he's got enough time to win that job mm-hmm. from Mac Jones. Yeah, uh, but Sark went with the guy that you know went with the guy that he felt because we've talked about. It. I mean, Sark's offense is best when it's on schedule, right? That's what he wants. <laughs> yeah, Mac Jones. <laughs> that Alabama offense was on schedule a lot, like yes. like close to ninety percent of the time. Yeah. it was on schedule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was as about a running of a machine as you yeah. can be for an offense, and that, that's what he wants here, right? That's why I think he'll go with the quarterback that actually is the most efficient in the end. I mean, we had this conversation Especially about if you're Casey mobile. Thompson and Hudson Card in his first year, and how he was conflicted because Sark wanted the quarterback that was going to operate on time on schedule, but you didn't realize all of the pieces that you have, all of the the materials that you're constructing this offense with, they're not all prime materials like you had when you were. Bama yeah. to help that machine run so efficiently. Like some of these cogs, all right, and some of these pieces, they're uh, they're worn out or they're just they're just subpart pieces. And now as he gets more and more pieces, especially in this offense, he's expecting it to run efficiently on time on schedule. When it doesn't, that's the key. And remember, we I I, I want Sark to kind of embrace it and, and Quinn yours too. Listen, you're gonna have to at least 15, 20 percent of the time operate off schedule, and that's where really. Texas is going to be able to win games this year because they're, they're going to score a lot of points. But when when a when a defense forces you to go off schedule and they essentially have a great defense called for that play or coverage, and you got to operate off schedule, meaning you got to keep the play alive and look downfield, get out of the pocket. That I think is going to determine a lot of Quinn Ewers' yeah. success this year. And as weird as it might sound to people, that part of it. When you talk about down the road, if it's a Quinn, if it's a if it's an Arch Manning versus Malik Murphy battle, mm-hmm. the the ability to extend the play that's actually why I I would favor Arch Manning in a battle. Hmm. In other words, that, that might sound weird. Like I think if it's more about being on time, being on schedule, that might Malik that might be Malik Murphy. Yeah, just because of his his arm talent, his ability to make all the throws on the route tree. That's true. But if you're talking about a guy that can ad lib a little bit, extend the play. Uh, with his eyes, with his feet, manipulate the defense. I, I, I think it's advantage arch. Wow, I like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know, just something to something to follow something in to think and about, think yeah. about. You know what's weird, Rod? Is there's Texas fans of a certain age that have no frame of reference on who Chris Sims is and what he did. I know that's true. Like we were talking about it on Light the Tower, and Cameron's my producer. Cameron Parker, great producer. Mm, no, I love Cameron. And Cameron was like, "Was it really that bad for Chris Sims?" I'm like. What year were you born? I think Cameron was born like in 2000, That's 2001. Crazy. I'm like, yeah. oh, you have no idea. Yeah, a generation that doesn't have no idea. Yeah. We're aging ourselves with that reference now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we sound, you know, like like when, when I was in high school and guys would be talking about, oh, I remember back in the day when Tommy Nobis was wrecking <laughs> yeah. shop. Now I'm that old guy You're talking old about guy. Derek Johnson and Casey Hampton. 20 year old references. I'm yeah. like, bro, get a new one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember Steve McMichael back in the late seventies. Bam, bam. Somebody, Steve McMichael, is now my Casey Hampton. Damn, I'm the old, 
I'm, I'm the old ass guy that the no, youngsters are talking no, about. Like, y'all stop point. talking about that I old school. I didn't realize that. Damn, we do got to get a better reference. Yeah, like me talking, me thinking about Texas football yeah. in the height of my fandom in 2000, 2001 would be like somebody then telling me about stuff that happened in like 1980, 1981. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're right about that. Michael time. <laughs> yeah, I was like making like you right. Those are old references. I remember people making. I was like, I gotta Google that. Actually. Making me think. Making me think like <laughs> Jerry Gray wore a leather helmet or something. You know. Go back to the Super Bill Bradley <laughs> days of quarterback. Hub Bechtel, <laughs> man. Yeah. Hub Bechtel. Yeah. Oh, oh, Hub would wreck shop. Hub Bechtel just sounds oh, like man. a name from another generation. Hub Bechtel, I love that. Y'all and remember that I one quickly... podcast where we uh, we just went we I, and I with all due respect to Hub Bechtel, we're looking <laughs> at all Americans and we wound up on Hub Bechtel where he was just the end like you, you're a wide receiver where your position yeah. was in it was like, I don't, like I don't oh, even... oh hub must have just been mossing people on the outside yeah. I'm a three point stands I did just get that's when we would make fun of Bucky because Bucky was from the splint end oh, yeah. era and be able to yeah that was like Bucky was doing that what the, what was that the 80? Sex, 80, 70, 80 I don't know when Bucky was that, that, that like was, 1980 yeah. oh man that's cold but, but didn't somebody tell me Michael Irvin was doing it didn't you say yeah that? he did it yeah. Michael Miami. Irvin actually was in a three point stands too At and times. that was in Mid-80s? Yeah, 1985-86. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, that's, that's awesome. That's I good pulled uh, the national numbers for tackles for last last year. I believe just from NCAA.com's website, uh, there's no defensive backs that had more than 12 last year. Wow. So the Jade, I would say it looks so like he led the nation of okay. DBs. That's crazy. All right, next sense, next question. And, Rod, I do like your idea. I think we'll, we'll do more mailbag next week. We'll finish nice. it out. Um, so that's just a teaser for uh, what's going to come up next week on Longhorn Blitz. Uh, Aaron Hahn has the next question. Aaron says, hey, guys, I appreciate the podcast. Me and my two brothers live in Oklahoma. Bless you, sir, for that. <laughs> uh, and we talk about this podcast all the time. It helps us get our Longhorn fix in an area where it is hard to find it. My brothers actually live in Norman. Ooh. Good Lord. Y'all have a bad. Man, uh, what a so, so I imagine what people think when they see us wear our Longhorn gear. When I was in college in Oklahoma City, I had a Longhorn magnet that was taken off of my vehicle while I was in a store. I was so mad, but we wouldn't trade it for anything and have been doing it since we were little. Uh, <laughs> nice. My question for the mailbag, I saw this article on 24-7 that came out recently. It was rating uh, college football's top 10 head coaches. How far do you think Sark is from being a top 10 coach? Do you think if they have the type of season we expect from them, he will jump into the top? P.S. Norman actually has pretty good food. Doesn't compare to what Austin is, but it's not bad. Okay. Nice. Okay. I'll never find out. I've been to the Rudy's in Norman. That's about it. Yeah, I'll take your word for that. And I did go to Okarchi, Oklahoma, though. It's damn fine chicken. Damn good fried Uh, chicken. How how close, guys, we think Sark is to being a top 10 coach? He's got, it goes back to the conversation we had kind of starting the show. He's got to be better going up against good and great coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, I go back to the stat. He has got, he's won more than he's won more than 75% of his games in his career when he faces coaches that have a winning percentage below 60%. And that is kind of the threshold to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I picked that, not as an arbitrary number. Uh, but when he faces coaches that win 60% or more of their games, he's got around a 40% or a less win percentage right around there. And he's about a, what, a 55% win percentage coach. So he's above average and he's working his way to being good to great. He's got to learn how to win a chess match in the game. So when he goes up against a good coach, like a Gundy, all right, even though he's got more advantages and he seems like he's got a better roster and better team, a Gundy can get the best of him, just yeah. out-coach him. And the truth is, uh, you know, go back to Joey McGuire with Texas Tech. You know, Joey McGuire, I'll, I'll give you this. Joey McGuire 
he he had more basically had, Texas Tech had more fourth down conversions and more fourth down attempts mm-hmm. than any team in the country. It was like fifty two. Yeah. Right, fifty-two of them. Yeah, Craig and I were talking about this this morning. Right, yeah, and it, it was awesome, and because I thought it was kind of isolated to Texas, it was not isolated to Texas. That's just no, they were they just going for all the time. Gus yeah. Johnson lost his mind yeah. against TCU. Joey, uh, yeah, it was right. It was six of eight <laughs> versus Texas. All her fans remember that. So they went thirty-three of fifty-two. Can they converted sixty-three percent of them? So you take their fourth down conversions and the drives they extended and the yeah. points that were scored, added points, hundred and twenty-nine points. But you take away the drives, obviously, when they had turnover on downs, and that led to opposing teams' points. Yeah. That was 44, and the difference, obviously, 85-point profit, 6.5 points per game. They went 8-5. and five. They had wins over Texas, Oklahoma, and U of H by three points. Those are how you Hell, win in the they margins. beat Iowa State by, by four Those points. Those are what, the, what we you say can, when we can, say that. You can directly, all right, analytically – Tie those wins to Joey McGuire's mindset, mentality, and his strategy. Philosophy going into yeah, the game. This in, is a four-down game. Going into the game. season. Going yeah, into the yeah, season. Yeah, 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 the yeah. season. Mm-hmm. Going yeah, into the whole yeah. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, we don't have a lot of advantages, man. We got a few. He said, but in these games, he said, to give us an advantage, we're going to have to roll the dice. Yeah. And y'all not going to like it, and I'll be pretty. But I got to keep doing it because if I do it ultimately enough and we win, hell, we may lose. But if we win enough yeah. of them, we'll gain that, those advantages, the margins, yes. all right, that, yeah. that, 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 that he's talking about. Give me the game. Give me the game where Sark did that for Texas. Yeah. I go back to K-State 2021. But well, they were in wildcat the whole damn yeah. game. He's like, I got nothing. My running backs are hurt. My quarterbacks are hurt. We're at the end of the season. We're five and freaking six. You know what? Yeah. We're going wildcat on these mofo. We're going to do And he was just out there coaching his butt off. Yeah. Because he had, you know what I mean? He was just, because he was looking for yeah. the margins. He was, TCU, looking, for, he was 20, looking for the small, the small margins. And I'm not talking about common sense, which is, you know what? Game plan ain't working. Give it to Bijan and Rojo. That's what you did in the Baylor and Iowa State game. And that was great. That's and that's what the sense. TCU game was. Yes, exactly. Two years so ago, that's, man. I'm talking about your, your strategy, something that stands out that I can quantify. I watched the film. We watched the film. Yeah. I need to be able to quantify you. You, something you did went mm-hmm. out of your way. You yeah. broke character, and you went one your team, one or two games. <laughs> Joey McGuire did it. Yeah. Win one, three, or four of them. Yeah. When did Sark break character go win a game? Now, listen, Texas football, the way you built the roster, hell, you should win eight games next year just on autopilot. But I need you. In a couple of those situations, you go up against a damn good coach. I need you to go out there and win the game. Go out there and give your team a schematic, tactical, strategic advantage. And I think Sark is great, but he has not done that a lot. And ain't none of y'all out there listening can tell me he's done it. Yep. You know, you and know the you big go. the the big what if for Sark on that front rod? It might have been the Alabama game. He was close. Yeah, but, I said it he, Quinn, was Quinn, he was close. But Quinn got hurt, so we'll close. never know. And then close. it could have been Hudson Card's ability he to ad lib, but Hudson played most of that game on one good foot. So and still, still we'll never know. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, he did. That was some great. That was some great coaching calls in there. So first of all, the the common sense one, the feel of the game. I always criticize with Sark. He had a great feel of the game when he started attacking those DBs and getting those pass interference guys. Like man, they can't cover. Their mm-hmm. backs to the bat. When their backs are to the football, they can't cover. Yeah. They're going to they interfere. Let's keep doing it. He just kept chunking it. It's like, keep going. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Be extreme. And I told him, sorry, that's my thing, man. I need you to go win a couple of games. You got to win two or three of them. To get double-digit wins in this conference, you're going to be responsible for two or three wins. If y'all win eight, nine games, it's because Sark couldn't go out there and win his team a game. Yep, yeah. and that's where, like, Joey McGuire going into the season, when you look at just uh, what you have and, like, say, your production on a per-play basis, what – He's able to do by having the philosophy that we're going and we're going to be a four-down team, not a three-down team. Exactly. What does that do? It gives yeah. you the ability 
to be like 25% worse and then still be successful. Instead of needing (laughs) 3.3 yards per play, now you only need two and a half yards per play. But we're buying into it on the front end. Mm -hmm. We're going to have certain scenarios where we're going to have to play a different quarterback that's mobile that can buy those yards and get us those diminished returns. That way, we don't have, like, we they know, all right, we can't be Texas. We don't have that. We can't reach this per play basis that we need. But we are right here at this level, and if mm-hmm. we just decide on the front end that we're going to do this overall and not go off of our strategy yep. and buy fully into it, we can actually be a team that's, say, 20% worse on a per-play basis and then still be successful because we're bought into the strategy. And that's what you do with that. Right. And what do you do when you shave off, like, 20% of 3.3 yards? That's still going to be getting you 2.6, 2.7 yards mm-hmm. per play. And if it's like, okay, well, if we know we can achieve that, let's just do it. What the hell do we have to lose? A football game? We're already not mm-hmm. winning them. Let's do it. And that's a yeah. great way to buy you know, into it. Joey, thing, the money. The babe. thing, the thing that Joey out. had going for him last year, though, going for it on fourth down, is the same reason why, and I'd have to go back and pull the numbers, why I feel like the Texas offense in 2016 was such a good short yardage offense. You had a six-five quarterback, so if you're in those power downs, third and two or less, fourth and two or less, man, he's just gonna fall forward and get mm-hmm. you a first down. Yep, you're right. You know, all, all Tyrone Swoops had to do was take a snap and just kind of lean forward, and boom, you convert fourth and two. Chain still moving, especially when you yep. got big yep. boys that come behind him. They try to pull it. Yeah. you can yeah. now. You can do the. You can do the the tush push. Yeah, the Eagles. Right, you can go you ahead. Got a guy like Foreman. Yeah. Hey man, if that's the rules. Yeah, and use them to your advantage. So, but but they were they, there was some luck on their side too. But I think you make your own luck when you're that aggressive. Seems like things start falling your way. Mac mm-hmm. Brown should talk about that. They did recover 22 of their 33 fumbles offensively <laughs> and defense last year. Even against Texas, right? They yeah. fumbled three times, recovered yeah. them all. Even the Bijan one. Well, and that's, so where, that's a little bit of that is luck to win the ball back. There's luck, and then there's luck, the high IQ players like yeah. somebody. People t- uh, look at the national championship here. Casey Studdard is, you could say, won Texas championship by falling on a football inside the championship mm-hmm. game on the final drive. And a lot of the times people will be like, oh, well, fumble recovery is your luck. It's like not if you're playing a game of poker and if you aren't playing a, that party at the football mentality. If you got 11 guys selling out on every play to run to the football, even if you're a lineman that's not going to get the ball and you don't even think there's a reason to run, when that ball's bouncing around and now you can count on seven seven or eight of your guys being there and only four or five of the opposition, it's a two-to-one ratio. You have a much higher likely chance to recover that ball if you make it into like a game of poker in those scenarios. So that's where like that hustle, high IQ, Mm -hmm. those things, the party of the football mentality is why coaches yell about it because there actually is a way to skew those numbers that are viewed as luck plays to actually be in your favor if you outnumber your players in those scenarios. Uh. I think what it boils down to for me, Rod, and I heard this term a long time ago, and it's just funny how football terms you hear just stick with you. Dictate the terms of the game. What is your best route to dictating the terms of the game? You want to be the aggressor. You don't want to have to be in a position where you have to be reactive. Yep. So whether that's with your defense, maybe it's with your kicking game, like the surprise onside kick at the at the beginning of the opening kickoff or whatever that you've been working on, or it's offense. It's, it's taking the vertical shot or it's this play you've been working on. Whatever you need to do, that's what we're asking for from Sark. Throughout the course of a game, are you dictating the terms of the game? But sometimes he can become a little maniacal, right? Because he is trying to dictate, but that's what the deep ball is about. Yeah. The deep ball is about psychological intimidation, but also trying to dictate the terms 
of this, you know, this engagement essentially you're having with the opposing team. So I, I do think he, he tries that, but I think at times he can get his feel of the game is off. He doesn't understand, well, you know what? Actually, I'm doing more damage to myself. This is self-inflicted yeah. harm I'm doing with this deep ball. I'm not helping the team. You know what? Let me go back to square one and go back to something that works. So I think his field again, he's so obsessed with the deep ball. Like, I got to get that deep ball, baby, that he, you know, he, he believes it's his offense is incomplete. Yeah. And he feels like he is, as an offensive coordinator, somewhat like he's almost impotent. Like he, you know what I mean? Like he's, he does feel like an insecurity. There's when an ego the thing ball. He's like, I got to get it. It's just part of, it's almost like, you know, you can go Freudian on this thing too. Like, <laughs> give him this deep ball and he don't get the deep ball. Like, man, he gets insecure about that. But that is, he's, he's, he's kind of overcompensating. He's like, I need that deep ball. And it's like, no, you don't. Yeah. You can yeah. work JT Sanders over here. You got Joey McGuire did Jay Witt in the, uh, Jay Witt on the wide receiver screen is money. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? It's man? where the tortoise and the hare really comes into <laughs> yeah. the equation in like, being like, all right, but you know what happens if you miss a deep ball. Now you got to get five yards yeah, per play exactly. on a per play basis, and you aren't so, going for it a fourth down. Know. It's like you really got to hit and understand what you're doing and tying all yeah. of the plays together exactly. as a play caller. You can take your shots. I'm just saying, like, don't go be obsessed with it. Oklahoma yeah. State was you were obsessed with it, man. Yes, now, they that, weren't giving it yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> I talk I talk about exactly. dictate the terms of the game, but ultimately it goes down to that the quote I heard from Bill Parcells. He's talking about controlling the game. He's like, people think when you want to control the game, oh, we want to run clock, we want to run the ball, we want to do this. He said, what it boils down to is you control the game however you have to. Yeah. Damn right. It sounds simple. Yeah. You control the game however you have yeah, to. I agree it's with that. it's where point. the brilliance of Mike Leach came point. in and yeah. changed. And people thought he was this riverboat gambler, and he was like, man, you have to have the football to win. I'm not going to give the other team the football by chance. That's why I'm going to go for it on fourth down, and I'm going to see. I think I think more more of that when I think control the game however you can. First coach that comes to my mind is Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder had games. I think about the, the 2011 Texas game. I trust my kicking game and my defense so much. I don't care if I go three and out every time. At some point, you're going to make a mistake, and my defense and kicking game will put my offense in a position where I'll score the one or two times I need to. to win That's where self-scouting and understanding your team and the way you've built it and your personnel really ties those yep. two together because we gave two of the most polar opposite examples, and both can exist. No All doubt. right, we'll burn through the rest of the questions next week. Richard nice. Young, you're up. Your question will be next. So anybody that sent in a question, uh, we'll do our best to get to it next week. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody, the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get this podcast on Wednesday and Thursday nights and... You can get this, thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud yep, page. just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click the follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz whenever it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. Good to go. That was fun. What's going on in the hall? <laughs> Lou Dog just Lou. staring. Staring like a disappointment. He's like- Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.